Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Chris here with Justin, and we are recording our very first episode in person. So uh, I'd ask you how you're doing, but you just cooked me a delicious pancake breakfast. So I'd say, <laughs> just like me, you're doing quite well. D- doing pretty well. It's been it's been a good morning. Uh, we got some special stuff lined up for uh, for this week coming up. So I think everyone's going to enjoy it just about as much as I enjoyed my pancakes. So uh, I'm glad you're doing well as well. And uh, we're going to get into the reason why we are here. Your choice, Ed Guys. Theater of Salvation, an, an album I knew we would cover eventually. Uh, somewhat surprised it took this long, to be honest with you. Um, what made you choose the album? Uh, well, I, like I mentioned last week, I, I was so, kind of surprised that we'd gotten this long without talking about Ed Guy. And um, it seemed like the, I don't know, like when I when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, Vainglory Opera was a classic. And I, probably my favorite Ed Guy album is Hellfire Club. Um, and I really, I'm a big fan of Mandrake as well, but this was actually my first Ed Guy album. And so it kind of holds a special place in my heart and I hadn't listened to it in a while. So it just seemed like a a good choice. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, as I'm sure we'll get into Ed Guy's sound has changed a little bit from, from the early days with, with this kind of stuff and being glory opera and obviously the debut and, and their sound has evolved, I guess, over the course of the discography. But this was, this was my first memories of the band as well. And, you know, I guess we'll just get right into it. The album was released on January 25th of 1999 on AFM Records. Um, it was really their, I don't want to say it's their second release, but I guess it was their second major release because Vainglory Opera had come out um, just one year prior. And, you know, they, they they had come out with Kingdom of Madness a couple of years before that, but it was... I guess it didn't receive the same fanfare, I guess, that Vainglory Opera had. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, even if you go back and listen to it, it the the Kingdom of Madness album is pretty raw sounding. Um, they they did have a, a demo before that called Savage Poetry, which I don't think they consider their first album because I think it was like originally recorded as a demo and then it ended up getting some sort of limited release. They ended up re-recording it uh, after, I think after theater salvation actually it was their i think that was their next release before mandrake i'm pretty sure um yeah it came out it came out in between theater and mandrake yeah. it was like, and there's some good stuff like the re-recording is really good i i like it a lot but yeah so kingdom of madness i guess is technically our first album but i don't think i started i'd heard of ed guy until vainglory opera was released i think that was the one that really got them some attention yeah, I, I agree. And it was interesting because I guess I kind of forgot that the two albums, Vainglory Opera and Theater of Salvation, had only come out about a year apart. Um, for some reason, I, I had it in my head that Vainglory Opera had come out earlier. I didn't realize that it had only come out in 98, uh, it coming out in January of 98. So it really is just one year apart for both of these albums, which um, for many was just like the the introduction into the uh, in, in, into Ed Guy. So um when, when you when you when you think about Vainglory Opera and when you think about Theater of Salvation, what are some of the f- things that really strike you right away? Uh, I mean, definitely that like they're, you know, they're definitely getting that influence from that Keeper era Halloween, you know, German power metal. Um, it's kind of like their own brand of, of of that kind of German power metal. But um, I feel like at the time, like Tobias Samet, his vocals were unlike anything we had heard up until that point. I remember a lot of people, I remember reading once that somebody said it was Michael Kisk meets Bruce Dickinson, which I was like, well, that's a hell of a compliment. Yeah. Does it get, does it get any better than that? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, 
it's it, it's interesting because just taking a step back for a moment, when I think of this era, to me, this was the heyday of European power metal, right? You oh, have yeah. uh, Labyrinth coming out with Return to Heaven Denied. You have Stradivarius coming out with Episode and Visions and obviously Fourth Dimension, which we covered in the in the archives. Uh, you have um, bands like Hammerfall releasing Legacy of Kings. I mean, it's just one phenomenal album after another. And and maybe I'm partial because it's when I first started hearing this stuff. But I just think that a lot of bands really hit a lot of their creative stride in this particular era. Not to say that later stuff is not good. There's still great power metal albums that were released last year. But it's it's this late 90s era, which was my favorite. Uh, would you agree with that? Or, or do you think there's a little bit of a, a bias because it's when we started really getting into it? I, I mean, I'm sure there is a little bit of a bias. But I mean, you can't really argue with what came out in that era. I mean, you know, better than raw by Halloween, uh, gamma ray was releasing somewhere out in space and power plan. I mean, like blind guardian is releasing nightfall and yeah, middle earth. I mean, it goes a, on and on It's a laundry list of just some of the albums that like metalheads look back on with a, a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, I was going to say pride, but I guess like <laughs> they had something to do with it, but just a lot of, uh, you know, the, the, they're just, some of the most like memorable albums. I mean, just some of the ones you just named are like, you know, people say that was my favorite labyrinth album. Or, that was my favorite hammerfall album or whatever. And, and I, oddly enough, I saw a thread on a um, Facebook group this week. Somebody who wasn't that familiar with Ed guy asking uh, like, where should I start? And a lot of people did say theater of salvation. So, um, you know, it's, I think that this for a lot of people is their, their favorite Ed guy album. So, well, let's 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 get into it. Uh, when did you, how did you first get the album? I mean, it, it, it's the beginning of 1999. Obviously, we're 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 at the height of our fandom. How did you first get your hands on? I will. Ne- I'll never forget getting this album because um, I my aunt and uncle were living in like rural Pennsylvania um, around this time, and they had this mom and pop CD store that was probably akin to our slip disc that we used to go to. And they would always like ask me for um, Christmas and my birthday to give them a list of stuff that I'm not able to get easily. And um, this, I guess, had just come out, so it was on the list. And they, I remember, they got me the the Japanese version with the bonus tracks. And that was when, and I, and I can't remember if it was Christmas or my birthday, but I just remember getting it as a gift and being so excited to have my first Ed Guy album. And and um, Boy, it did not disappoint. I mean, this I was a big fan of this right from the get-go. I have no recollection of how I actually got this album. What I remember is hearing your copy. So in terms of my first listen, it was listening to your copy, and I couldn't believe that we had the uh, we got our hands on it just because it was so um, – I don't want to say obscure, but it was just it was it was a hard album to track down. Yeah. It was not I mean, an easy get. It wasn't released in the U.S. either initially, so I mean, you couldn't walk into a store and buy this or or Glory Opera for that matter. Which was I ended up getting that after the fact, um, and that would be my second Ed Guy album. But I like this album so much, I wanted to go back and check out. And part of the reason was because two of the live tracks that were. Um, bonus tracks on the Japanese edition were songs from Being Glory Opera, so I already knew "Walk on Fighting" and "Fairy Tale." And I was like, "Oh man, oh, I got to hear the, I got to hear the rest of these." You know, it was the same thing for me when I got "High Live" by Halloween. I didn't have "Master of the Rings" yet, and I would hear like "Where the Rain Grows" and uh, like "Soul Survivor" and be like, "I need to get the album that these songs are on." These yeah, these songs, songs are awesome. great. 
Um, let's break down the band. Obviously, it's Tobias Samet doing uh, the vocals and, and some of the keyboards, uh, or actually most of the keyboards on the album, from what I understand. We uh, we did a little bit of a deep dive into Tobias when we did our Avantasia episode, and understandably so. Uh, Jens Ludwig doing guitar and backing vocals, uh, joined by Dirk Sauer, obviously, um, longtime member of the band. Uh, Tobias Axel on bass and Felix Bonk on drums, who um, I most recently saw playing with Jeff Tate uh, when he did a show here in New York a couple of years ago. So that was a nice surprise. And, and he's drawing for Avantasia now as well. Yeah, he's he's been keeping busy, but we'll we'll get to that. And uh, in ad- in addition to some other uh, guest spots on this album from some lesser known um, musicians, what are your thoughts on this album? You, you get into it. It starts with the Healing Vision. It runs about a minute. It's it's your typical, uh, I guess, '90s power metal introductory track, and then bam, right into Babylon. Yeah, um, it's kind of like this, like really, like almost uh, church like cor- like choral intro. Like um, it just reminded me very much of like hearing something in a, a cathedral or, or what have you. And then and then you know Babylon starts, and and here we go. It's like uh, and again, like it, it kind of reminds me of, of those keeper era Halloween albums where you have like that minute and 10 seconds of an inch of like kind of like a classically inspired intro. And then it just like bursts out into like a, a, a really fast power metal song. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. It, not only does it have that like cathedral vibe to it, but one of the things that I, I guess surprised me the most was that it had this really full rich sound and you hear it right away and it continues throughout the rest of the album in my opinion whereas vainglory opera was still and again we're only talking a year before but you're talking about a little bit raw a little bit more uh unpolished the first thing i thought about this album was that they really took time to to produce this in a, in a special way because of just the 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 loud but clear nature of it, I thought was really, really impressive. And, and that was one of the memories I had before I went back and listened to it, just because I always this thought that this sounded different from other stuff that was coming out at the time. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I remember thinking that too, that back then, like Vainglory Opera didn't sound as good production wise as this album did. I mean, it was still not to say it was unlistenable, but I feel like from the demo to Kingdom of Madness to Vainglory Opera to this, there were considerable jumps in the production value of each album. And I feel like, um, I think even after this, I think they continued to get even better with their sound. Um, really just no pun intended, mastering the, the, the master, uh, you know, process. But sure. um, I think this was their, probably their first album that, that sonically sounded really like really professionally, Done. Not to say that Vainglory Opera sounded bad by any sense of the ima- imagination, but um, I think Theater of Salvation, like you said, definitely felt like it had a little bit more polish to it. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because when you ha- during that first album, Kingdom of Manus, um, Tobias Samet Tobias and Jens Ludwig basically wrote the entire album. But as we stray away from the beginning or the roots, um, Tobias Samet really becomes the main songwriter on virtually all of these songs. Um, Jens helps on, on a couple of tracks, which we'll get to, but for the most part, it's, it's really Tobias Samet taking the reins here and writing the entire album, yeah. much like he did in Avantasia, of course. Yeah. I mean, just from these first three albums alone, you, you can definitely see that from a songwriting standpoint, uh, Tobias and the rest of Ed Guy are going to be a force to be reckoned with, because I mean, 
there's some these on these three albums. There's some really classic songs that Ed Guy still plays live when they do actually play live. Um, but I mean, you know, I know that like Babylon and, and the Headless Game and um, at least those two songs and uh, and um, Land of the Miracle for sure are have always been pretty much staples of Ed Guy's live set. But um, you know, but like we mentioned last week with the success that Avantasia Ed Guy hasn't really done much in the way of, of touring uh, over, over the last few years, but we're, we're not really focusing too much on that. Um, so uh, I think um, the headless game, you know, I don't think it hit me until this week listening to it, how much it reminded me of the kiss of Judas by Stradivarius yes. the way it starts out. It's, I, I don't know if it was intentional or if it was just like uh bright minds thinking alike, but it definitely has that kiss of Judas feel and, and visions had only come out a year or two prior to this. So it's, I I don't think it's an accident. I just think it might've been a stylistic choice, but it's, it's definitely in the same vein, but it's another one of those great, great European power metal tunes. I mean, much like Babylon, you got two tracks in a row that are just memorable with loud, big choruses, fantastic guitar work and the keyboards, which I think really accentuate and kind of, the difference here, I guess, between this album and being Glory Opera is I think the keys were just a lot more prominent. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, this is the more of this is a little bit more of a mid-tempo song, like Babylon's a, a faster one. Sure, and then, sure. Um, and then, then as we're changing our tempos, we go into Land of the Miracle, which like is is like one of the, my favorite power ballads ever. It's so good. It's even better in a live setting with like the the fans singing the 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 line at the end of the the song but um i i just felt really good like <laughs> to the song going back I'm, and I'm I'm so it. happy you said that land of the miracle for me uh it's going to be my song of the week and i'm going to tell you why i can't help but listen to that song and be smiling at the end of it it just puts a smile on my face it is so well done and the way that it kind of just picks up in the middle and then fades out at the end with just the vocal lines. Oh, I love that. Um, I love it. And it also reminds me of Sabotage because of the way that they do the vocal rounds at the end of the song. obviously the two bands sound nothing alike but the way that this particular song is constructed to me was an ode to uh the wake of magellan or chance and all these other sabotage songs that i love for me it's just it's 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 a perfect song and it's not surprising to me that that's the one from the album that they continue to play live what is surprising to me and we'll get into this in a bit is that when we first saw the band live 
I don't think they played anything else off this album except Land of the Miracles. So a lot of this stuff was stuff that even to this day, I've just never heard live. Yeah, same here. Um, and then speaking of which, like the next three tracks, which are all like pretty, um, pretty like, you know, your your classic German power metal style songs, like one after the other, really like just strong, crunchy uh, tunes. Um, Wake Up the King you know, you brought up like having more keyboards. I mean, this song starts out with like almost like a harpsichord sounding intro. Um, I remember this song really sticking out to me when I first heard this album. And back then when I was making all those mixtapes, I never put any songs from this album on any of the mixtapes because I, nothing ever really stood out to me. Really? That was better than the rest of it. It was just, it was so hard to pick something that I ne- I ended up not picking anything. I, I'm, that's interesting to me because I, I don't know that, I, I don't, I, I'll say it this way. The first s- six full tracks on this album, which we haven't even gotten there yet, but to me is as good as it gets for power metal. Not to say that the back half of the album isn't very good. It is. But the six tracks in a row from Babylon through the end of Arrows Fly is about as good a power metal as, as you can get. Um, and, and it's interesting that they kind of front loaded all of those songs because it's just one after the other. I, I don't know that they don't stand out. I just think that you could close your eyes and like a dartboard pick one and you could throw it on a, a, a mix or a playlist and be very happy because they're all just you know, 10 out of 10 songs. If you're a power metal fan, yeah, I think I just got overwhelmed with trying to make a decision. And cause like, I remember listening to Vainglory opera and like songs like, um, until we rise again and, um, uh, out of control. They just like really stood out to me. Like, like I want to put these on a playlist, yes. but for whatever reason on this, I'm like, man, I could use anything. And then it was like, even when I was like 17, I was so cerebral. I was like, what if I choose the wrong one one day? I'm going to be making a podcast when I'm, 30, <laughs> when I'm 38. And I'll be like, I can't believe I use Holy Shadows. What is wrong? What was, what, what was I thinking? Um, do you think that, you know, in, in hindsight, as we get deeper into this, would you agree that this is a deeper album than Vainglory Opera? Because you mentioned some of the great Vainglory Opera tracks. Is it a deeper album? And by deeper, I mean, is it just, is it something that you play through and you say to yourself, uh, just the, the quality throughout is a little bit better or maybe even markedly better than some of the, d- the deeper cuts on being glory opera. Yeah, I'd say it is. I, I think, um, I think with being glory opera, there might be songs that I like better than any of the songs on theater of salvation. But I think that as a whole, I think this is a better album. I just start to finish personally. Um, I really like, I mean, there's, um, if you include the, the, the Japanese bonus track that they recorded for a trace of life, three of my favorite like power ballads just happen to be on this album right. with land of the miracle, another time and, and for, for a trace of life. I don't know how that song ended up as a bonus track cause it's fantastic. But, um, so, and then all the other songs are, I love all the other songs and the, and then the last like proper track theater of salvation, which is, you know, a 12 minute epic is probably one of my first experiences outside of Halloween hearing a really long epic power metal song. And, and I mean, I'd argue this is one of Ed guy's best songs they ever recorded. I mean, just skipping ahead a little bit. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, just to kind of round out the, the track list before we get in depth about the track theater salvation, which I think deserves its own little area. Um, 
you know, Arrows Fly, I love the the way the guitars start out. Um, I, I'm wondering, since uh, Jens has um, songwriting credit on that, um, if he came up with that little riff at the beginning of the song, it's such a cool way. That was another song I think that stood out to me as well in high school, just because it was very, it was just very power metal. Like. Just, just <laughs> predicting, I thought that was going to be your song of the week because you'd you, I, I know you just gravitated towards that song. I don't know that it stood out amongst the others, but it's, I'll say this. I think that a lot of Ed Guy fans would agree. It's one of their most underrated tracks. Nobody ever talks about it, but it's a phenomenal, phenomenal track. And as I said, it for me, it rounds out the, the top six in, in a perfect way. It's in the middle of the album. It's beautifully paced. It's got a catchy chorus. But it's 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 a track that nobody seems to ever talk about when you talk about the classic Ed Guy material. It surprises me a little bit. Yeah, I kind of forgot about it in all honesty until I went back and mm. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Actually, but honestly, a lot of these tracks, I kind of like Holy Shadows, Another Time, The Unbeliever, like these next three tracks. Um, I'll say this: um, Holy Shadows um, is a little bit different. It's a little bit I don't know if I'd say it has like a darker tone to it, but um, it's got I took very sexually charged lyrics out of the out of the lyrical content from it. Maybe it's just my warped mind. Um, <laughs> and uh, another time is another really uh, just well done like ballad with use of of the piano. I mean, it sounds like synthesized piano, but I mean, it's it's really nice. It kind of it's, speaking of sabotage, kind of reminds me just John Oliva sitting there with his piano and and doing. I mean, Tobias's voice just with piano is really really like just pleasant to listen to a couple of things. I, I think that Holy Shadows and Another Time are good songs. I don't think that they are as good as those first six tracks that, that, sure, you know, that sure. we're going to go going back to, but I will say that Tobias's voice on some of these ballads, especially um, extremely underrated. You know, we talk about his songwriting ability a lot, but we really, what gets lost in the fact is he's a great singer and a great live singer and puts on one hell of a performance. And, and certainly when the, with the Bruce Dickinson comparisons with him running around the stage and kind of jumping on the monitor and stuff like that, it's, he puts on a show. It's not just a, a singer. He's, he's a front man in, in all, in all, um, in all the different ways that you can be a front man, he is in fact that the way that he engages the crowd and the way that he gets everybody kind of singing along to some of these songs. It's fantastic. And, you know, like I said, we've never heard some of these tracks live or, or many of them really, but he, uh, the way that he's able to just command the crowd, even with just a piano, it's just fantastic. Or, or lead the crowd into just swearing. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There, when we first saw Ed Guy play at uh, a Prog Power, which we're we're going to talk about definitely in more detail at some point, but um, he was like, "Well, I'm here in America. I want to see if I can get away with this." And so he just started listing expletives and having the crowd repeat them, and he was just having the time of his life, and and so was everybody else. And uh, I'd argue that um, Ed Guy stole the show at, at Prog Power Three, but um. That yeah, I mean, agree with you. I think the Bruce and and Kiss Dick uh, Dickinson Bruce and Kiss <laughs> comparison is that he probably sounded more like Kiss, but uh, behaviorally on stage was more like Dickinson. So I could definitely understand that uh, that comparison for sure. Um, the unbeliever, you know, for the first time it hit me. I was listening to this, and it reminded me of what Tobias would end up doing with Avantasia, early Avantasia. Yes. I got, 
Avantage, like the first two albums of Avantage, I got that vibe from this song. If you sure. if you didn't know that this song was on Theater of Salvation and it was the seventh track on one of the first two metal operas, you would not have known any better because just the way the song was constructed, this is what his songwriting really was, at least on the Avantasia side, um, for, for albums to come. And as I said, you know, when you go back to, to Mandrake and you go back to Hellfire Club, they, that's when they really kind of start deviating a little bit from that early Avantasia classic power metal sound a little bit. And then obviously some of the later Ed Guy albums deviate even further, but I, I think that this was really when Tobias as a songwriter was, was hitting his groove and, 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 and kind of applying a formula, if you will, to, to some of these tracks that, that wound up on the metal opera, both parts of it before even Avantasia sound deviated a little bit as, as, as time has gone on, obviously. But this, this, this late nineties, early two thousands era, this, this, I think the unbeliever is emblematic of, 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 of Tobias's songwriting. And, and obviously, uh, you know, Jens to, to, to another extent, because he's one of the co-songwriters uh, or gets songwriting credits on the unbeliever as well. Yeah. I think what you brought up makes a lot of sense. And that this kind of marks a time where I'm guessing Tobias is also writing songs for this first Avantasia album around this time. And, and I think that whereas a lot of musicians are going to have to like decide what path am I going to take my band down Tobias was like, well, I can have two bands and have, yeah. take one down one road and one down the other. And I think that's why the later Ed Guy albums and the later Advantasia albums are so different from one another. Whereas this earlier stuff, you know, you can hear, you can hear influences of Ed Guy and Advantasia and vice versa, because I mean, the same guy's writing all the songs at the same time and he's, he's trying to balance. And, and at the same time, I don't think Tobias ever thought Avantasia was going to turn into like this, this touring band that would take him away from, from Ed guy. But um, it's definitely interesting to see how the roads converged right around this time and the next couple of years of how, and, and kudos to him for having the, the, just the capacity to, to churn out that many great songs as a songwriter um, for two bands to make like great album after great album for two bands at the same time. I mean, uh, not a lot of people would be capable of doing that. The, the creative juices were definitely flowing for him at this time because he's churning out albums so fast and everyone is, you know, really quality stuff. So it's, it's, it's rather amazing when you, when you think about it. Um, let, let's talk about theater of salvation, the song for a second. You, you, you briefly alluded to this earlier. This is one of the, and it may be the longest Ed Guy track of them all, you know, come to think of it, but it really puts a bow on this album. And while I think that the bonus track for A Trace of Life is a phenomenal ballad, I think that it would have to be placed somewhere in front of Theater of Salvation if it wasn't a bonus track, because Theater of Salvation really does put a bow on the album by the same name. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the last track for a reason, and... and... Oh my God. I, yeah, I know we've said a lot of times as we've been doing this podcast, we're like, well, it was a 13 minute song, but it felt like four minutes. Like that was how I described this song when I was a teenager that like, I couldn't believe a 12 minute song could feel like it went by so quickly. It's well, just- to be fair, to be fair, the last 30 seconds or so are, 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 kind of a joke right I, we, we don't, I don't even know what what they were doing with that so take that aside but it's still a 12 minute song right no matter no matter what yeah but, um it's it's my song of the week for sure so 
if you're going to sit down and listen to it, <laughs> take 12 minutes out of your day. And I won't believe all the stories that they always tell. I got the mind to find out what's right and what's wrong. Just the whole song is just fantastic. I would be okay with giving up a couple of tracks to hear them play this live. And I just think it's one of the very best Ed Guy songs ever. I know when they released, I mean, they released a greatest hits album that didn't come out until, or, or came out prior to several of their more recent albums. But this was on a one disc greatest hits album. Like they felt like it was, it needed to be, part of like one quarter of their greatest hits album and and well placed let's be honest it's a, it's it's a fantastic track and sometimes i think it gets lost lost because it's at the end of this other you know there, there's it's a dense album for a power metal album i find it to be rather dense and kind of long yeah even if the the last um grandiose track feels like four minutes yeah for sure um did you listen to the bonus tracks when you went back and, and uh, listened to this again? Or? I did. I did. For a Trace of Life, you know, we, we had discussed phenomenal, phenomenal track. And to hear live versions of, of Walk on Fighting and Fairy Tale is, is always fun. And they picked fun recordings of both of those songs. So I think they did a great job. And it's nice to go back to hear some of the Vainglory Opera stuff. I, I don't know when I listened to that album last. I probably should have listened to it this week as well. And maybe I'll just do it for fun. But it's it's that that's a... You know that that's really where Ed Guy got its roots, and and this was like a more polished version of that, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, it's it was fun. I mean, I just love those two live tracks, and and you could just hear even without seeing, you can hear how fun a, a band Ed Guy is live. Like you know him doing the sing along with the crowd, and then and then just singing a, a passage that clearly nobody in their right mind would be able to sing and then hearing the crowd struggle to repeat it. And, and then, then him congratulate the crowd <laughs> being, Oh, great job. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's, it's really fun stuff. And that's why I think that um, they don't take themselves that seriously. And I don't mean as musicians, obviously they're accomplished musicians, but I think that when they get on stage, they're just looking to have a fun time. And to their credit, I, I think they do a great job of it. And that's why people just gravitate towards the live show. I mean, we've, we've, we've had the pleasure of seeing them live a number of times. We saw them headline with Hammerfall in New York City. Uh, we saw them obviously the first they time. They actually opened for Hammerfall. I remember being, oh, su- yeah, that's I remember right, being surprised right. by that at the time. I thought that's Ed like 2007 ish, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. I thought Ed Guy was more, maybe it was just in my own mind, but I felt like Ed Guy was the, and I don't know, that might have been, it's possible it was a co headlining tour and they were, switching off but at the time we saw him i was a little surprised to see hammerfall go on after ed guy but i mean man i know we haven't seen a live show in a while but to think about being able to go see 
Ed Guy and Hammerfall on the same night. I mean, that's... And, and maybe this is the fact that I haven't seen a show in a while, but I think I would kill for that right about now yeah. or any time. But it's you sometimes take for granted um, what you have until it's gone. Not just in terms of Ed Guy, but just of course shows in general. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I think that one of the things I wanted to talk about in a little bit of detail was that first first time we got to see them back in two thousand and two. Uh, you know, we've we've referenced the Prague Power Festival quite a bit because it was so formative for us. But you know, at the the night that they played, there were you know there there were ten bands at the festival, and they were one of the middle tier bands, partially because bands like Blind Guardian and Gamma Ray and Angra were also at the same festival, but also because this was right after Mandrake had come out, and they just didn't have the the repertoire or the or the or the I guess the the fan base that some of these other power metal stalwarts had had at the time. So they were just a mid, they were on the middle of the card. They were the third band out of five on the night that they played, but God, did they put on an amazing and, show. And two years later they were headlining. That's right. Which is, I think a testament to the fact that they did, um, that they put on such a phenomenal show on, on November 15th of 2002. Uh, you know, you looking at the set list, it's actually short by comparison. They, they played, uh, they played four songs off of Mandrake, which is understandable. They were touring for it, but they only played three from, from theater, which was the last major release before it. They played Babylon, Land of the Miracle, and the Headless Game, and those songs would disappear from the set list after this tour for the most part, and it would just be left with Land of the Miracle. My my favorite memory of that set, um, it was I think I wanna say it was the only I wanna say it was the only set I stood for back then. I was like sitting for all the sets, like before I just became an old lunatic, but um, I remember getting being on the floor with you, uh, and I, I want to say um, you know Mike and Pat and Ralph and everybody, the whole crew was all standing there, and and the way that Tobias got every single person in that venue that holds about eleven hundred people, like from the last row, got every. I remember he made every single person in that venue stand. I think that they were going to cancel the show if the people in the back. I mean, I hate the, the people in the wheelchairs were standing up. That, that's how. That's how. That's how crazy it was. But the, he had the entire, he had the entire crowd in the palm of his hand, and I had never, I'd never seen anything like that. And correct me if I'm wrong. They, you know, one of the things that I loved, they sounded so, they were, um, lush and so powerful with their sound it just it really just the, the the command of the room and the live performance went right along with 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 uh these powerful early power metal tracks yeah for sure i i, I think to this day we still say who's gonna be the ed guy this year like i still who's reference... the surprise band that's going to uh really just you know take us out of our seats yeah, and steal and, the show yeah and and every year there's 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 bands that do that. I don't know if they do it quite to the level of that guy, but there's there's the there's the so, the show stealer that you don't expect to just take over the crowd, but they somehow find a way to, to and, do it. And to do that in the midst of, of a of a weekend that includes Angra, Blind Guardian, Gamma Ray, Threshold, Devin Townsend, Pain of Salvation. I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody important too, but I mean amongst that list of bands to just be like kind of crammed in the middle, um, and then just you know, put just put on like and and maybe they knew. I mean, maybe they were just like we we're right in the middle. Let's like let's maybe these people are either they either you know rocked out too hard early or they're saving their energy for later. But like let's get these let's get these people like up off their chairs and and let's rock 
let's rock the show. And oh my God, they, they sure did. Like, and mind you, like, it wasn't like we were unaware of Ed Guy at the time. Like they were one of the reasons we wanted to go in the first place. But I mean, I mean, I, th- to think that I don't think any of us were going to saying like Ed Guy's going to steal the show here when you had, you know, Anger and Gamma Ray and Blind Guardian. Um, but I mean, sure enough, they were a reason why we went. But you left saying these guys are every bit as good or, or on par with the Angers and Gamma Rays of the world. And that's kind of the supreme compliment, I guess, yeah. is the way I would put it. Um, one to 10, what is this album for you? And, and I guess briefly, where does it stand, to, you know, going back in terms of the pantheon of, of Ed Guy material? I, to me, it's, it's a 9.0. Um, I didn't think I'd rate it that high initially, but it's like, there's not really any songs that to me are just like, okay songs. Like every song is great. The songs that are really great are really great. Land of the Miracle is one of the greatest power ballads ever uh theater salvation is one of the greatest power metal epics ever um the first track is it it kicks off the album amazingly there's some of my favorite bonus tracks ever on an (laughs) album with bonus tracks i mean it checks off all the boxes yeah it really does Uh, as far as where it where it sits i you know i'll be honest with you i haven't sat down and listened to a lot of these ed guy albums in a long time so for me uh, i'm gonna go off of memory than recency but um it's i would probably say it's in my it's in my top three with with vainglory opera and hellfire club i mean i i think i'd mentioned earlier hellfire club was my favorite ed guy album it it might not be anymore <laughs> i don't know i mean that's, I why, that's why we do the exercise yeah. right that's why we make everyone do their homework and, and mandrake is another album like Babylon is one of my all time favorite, um, or not Babylon, uh, Jerusalem. Getting my uh, ancient cities confused. <laughs> um, Jerusalem is one of my all time favorite Ed Guy songs. I thought if you want to talk about un, uh, what do you call it a uh, uh, underrated Ed Guy song? Another Jens Ludwig yeah. special, I should and, add. And it was on the Greatest Hits album, which I, I remember that gave me such um, validation for loving that I'm song. I'm not so crazy. Much. It's yeah. really that good. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, Theater of Salvation is the best Ed Guy album. Or it's I shouldn't say it's the best. It's the one that I enjoy the most. And I, I look back at some of – you know, I look back. Um, Vainglory Opera was was obviously an early love of mine as well. There's no question about it. But this is – I really I think they, they hit their stride. I'm going to give it a 9.0 as well. Um, and the only reason it's probably not a 10 is just there's maybe two or three tracks that are just – very good instead of great. It, yeah. it, 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 that would be the only knock I have to get out of that rarefied 9.5 or rarefied 10 air. I, I never thought that they had the magic that they had on this album straight through as they did with Theater of Salvation. Mandrake is a good album. Hellfire Club is a very good album. And then the three albums that kind of followed after that were were a little bit different in my opinion. And, and had I heard them first, I think I might have liked them more. But I, I had a vision in my head as to what Ed Guy was going to sound like. And to me, uh, it, it, when I think of Ed Guy, I think of songs like The Headless Game and Wake Up the King. And therefore, when I heard stuff that didn't sound like it, it just wasn't as good. And it's a little bit, you know, sometimes we talk about recency bias. That was actually more of like a past bias, right? Because I wanted it to sound like it did back in 99. But it's a nine for me. It's a great album and I'm, I'm glad we got to do it. Um, and before I talk about what I what I want to get into for next week, there's a couple of albums that I actually heard this week that I really just wanted to talk about. 
Um, and, and, and I'll post some of this stuff during the week, just stuff that I, I think that people really would be well served to, to, to check out. I, I only got two. The first was speaking of Angra, Ido Falashi had, has released his new soul album and it's called Vera Cruz. It just came out. Um, Achilles Priester from Angra is on drums and a bunch of other musicians kind of round out the band. I actually listened to it on the way up to you earlier this week. And my God, that album was a complete surprise for me. I say that only because I am familiar with his solo material. I'm familiar with Alma and he's got some great stuff there. But I thought that the songs on this particular album were just so catchy and so well written. And the pacing on the album was just so good. I give it a really strong recommendation. And honestly, I'll be surprised if it's not in my top 25 at the end of the year. I thought it was that that good and that well done. Um, and it was nice because it was almost a return to form in many ways. So that that's one that I definitely think people should check out. And the second was a band called Carmeria. It's a band out of uh, Sydney, Australia. They released an album called Advenay. And it's kind of like a blend of Camelot and, and, and a touch of conception as well. I, I wasn't, I guess I didn't know what to expect when I heard it for the first time, but I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was like, uh, hearkening back to, to, to some of that older Camelot material, which they really don't play live anymore, but it was good to hear. And it was just a pleasant surprise. I don't know that it's going to be my number one album of the year or anything like that, but it was just something I really enjoyed. Yeah, uh, I had listened to the one single that you sent me on YouTube, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I also listened to one of the tracks from the Edu the solo album that I think dro- that he dropped before the album was fully released and um you know i forgot how much i enjoy his vocals like because i guess after he left angra I, I, I never really got into alma until much later like when they when they were playing at prog power i kind of went back and got into them and um i just forget how much i really enjoy his vocals i feel like in a lot of ways like the the, the love for andre matos um kind of overshadowed his career with angra but i mean He's definitely a, a hell of a vocalist in his own right, and, and a great songwriter, which we would you know we would eventually see as well. So I'm definitely looking forward to hearing that. I did see a few people already mention um, how much they've enjoyed it so far, no no, no less than uh, Anthony D. Crisantis, who I think it might be Edu's publicist. I'm not sure <laughs> based on the way he talks about him. It's either publicist or his or his lover. I'm not sure which. <laughs> Maybe both. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, it's, it's being, a, a, uh, I was going to say ambidextrous, but that's not the right <laughs> word, but, uh, you know. Maybe that too. Who knows? Yeah. So, uh, have you listened to anything that, uh, caught your ear this week? Um, honestly, I, 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 doubt, I, I uh, pre-ordered the new Powerwolf album and I got the single and then I never ended up listening to it. I imagine it's great cause it's Powerwolf. Um, and, uh, but that's, that was really pretty much it for me. I was, um, I was listening to uh, a lot of Theater Salvation, and um, I was listening to a lot of the album that we're going to talk about next week. So why don't you... uh... Yeah, as a little bit of a spoiler and for planning purposes, normally we do not discuss in advance what we're going to choose. But because of scheduling and whatnot and a couple of other uh, surprises that we've got coming up later in the week, uh, I I told you in advance what I thought I was going to choose for next week. And I I definitely have, have decided, and I'm glad you started listening to it. And it's one of the more polarizing bands, I guess, that are out there for reasons which we'll discuss. But it's the debut album from 2003 by Dragon Force, Valley of the Damned. We're going to stay on this power metal kick because I'm kind of rekindling my love of power metal. And I thought it would be a really good album to discuss for 
a number of reasons. A, I think they've got a really interesting history, which we'll get into. And B, I think that the band really, uh, thanks to the advent of Guitar Hero, found new heights that I don't think they ever would have expected, which is part of the reason I wanted to discuss them. And and the fact that they've, um, you know, they, they're, they're still around to this day. They're still alive and kicking, and they're still releasing pretty good music. So it's uh, it'll be an interesting discussion. So next week we'll do uh, Valley of the Dam by Dragon Force. Yeah, I think it's an interesting time period too, as a fan, at least personally, because you know you notice that we gravitate towards a lot of these um, mid to late '90s albums because that's really when we became fans. And also, just I think, like you said before, like just there was a lot of really quality stuff coming out around that time but um you know speaking personally in 2003 both of us were in college i was kind of like losing my my metal cred i guess around the time just being around a lot of people that didn't listen to metal and kind of getting to hear you know listen to the radio more than i had and um but i rem- i clearly remember finding out about dragon force when they uh when they hit the scene with that first album so um, it'll be fun to go down memory lane and, and talk about kind of a, a period, at least in our lives, that we, I don't think we've kind of gone into too much that little, that area of the early 2000s. Maybe Opeth coming off the top of my head was one of them, but um, I don't know that we've You were not listening to them in college from what I recall. But I'm not yeah. listening to them now. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, but like, I just think that uh, that's a time period that we haven't, kind of hit on a lot just for whatever reason we've either gone like 80s or mid to late 90s or like uh recent you know as far as like newer stuff like wolverine and vanishing point and amaranth so um yeah it'll be cool to kind of hit that um we also have a uh an interview lined up with uh jens ludwig of ed guy um and we are really excited about that so we're going to talk to him about theater of salvation and a little bit about uh, you know, the history of the band and some of the, we like to, we were going to talk to him about uh, prog po- playing at prog power. Um, so we're looking forward to that. So that should be dropping in between this episode and the, uh, and the power. Um, wow. I was like power wolf, power quest, dragon force, yeah. the dragon force episode. So looking forward to that. And I'll just say this, keep the requests coming. We, we keep a list. If there's an album you want us to cover, let us know. Shoot us a message. Shoot us a Facebook or a, a, a Twitter uh, shout out. We're definitely uh, keeping track of the requests, and we uh, it drives the show because after Dragon Force, I think that we're going to be hitting another request for the first uh, first week in June, as we as we always do the first of the month. And um, you know, give us a like or a follow. It really helps other people find the show. So thanks for that. And um, with that, we look forward to coming back uh, later in the week with some uh, some some uh, one of a kind interview, and then of course Dragon Force next week. Yeah, um, I, maybe we should see if we can find somebody in Dragon Force that wants to talk to us. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think that might be uh, might be arranged. Something something we might be able to take care of. But in the meantime, uh, enjoy the week, and we will uh, we'll see you soon. Take yeah, it easy. Take care.